This is an Odyssey original. This is War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Western Ukraine has escaped the worst of Russia's invasion, region that borders uh, no fewer than four NATO countries, mostly calm until now. Russian forces launched a barrage of missiles on the outskirts of Lviv, key city in that part of the country. We'll take you there for reaction. And then we'll go to the other side of Ukraine in the east. I'll talk with somebody in Kharkiv, which has been under nearly daily bombardment since this all began. President Biden had a long chat with China's leader over the war. Can the Chinese be talked out of providing aid and support to the floundering Russian army? And Vladimir Putin held a big rally today in Moscow to drum up support for the invasion, which, of course, he isn't calling an invasion. We'll take a closer look at how Putin gets out of the mess of his own creation. We start, though, in western Ukraine in the city of Lviv, and that is where we find journalist Phil Itner. Phil uh, we've talked to you many times since the Russian invasion uh, from the city that you are now in, and uh, we've always pointed out that it has been, you know, relatively calm, relatively safe there, but today not so. Not at all. No. Uh, it was quite the alarm clock this morning at 6.30 in the morning when the air raid sirens began, and we have had the occasional air raid siren in this city uh, over the last uh, two-plus weeks that I've been here. Um, but it's usually because there's something flying in our direction, usually headed uh, north to a place called Lutz, or, uh, or, or there was the strike at a uh, military facility about 30 miles west of here. But generally, they're not coming directly to Lviv City. Well, today it was different. Uh, the air raid sirens went off, and uh, shortly after that, around 6.30 in the morning, as they say, we could hear the distant sound of explosions. Those who are a little closer to the impact zone north of the city, about four miles from the city center, uh, were able to record a huge plume of black smoke emerging from what turned out to be an, air, an aircraft repair facility that was apparently struck by Russian ordnance coming from the Black Sea, some of which... Uh, the Ukrainians say they were able to intercept, but at least four missile strikes on that air per, uh, aircraft repair facility, uh, and um, it, it um, you know has shook this city, which has heretofore been pretty much a peaceful place. And what do we know about this facility other than repairing aircraft? Is that, I mean, strategic target for the Russians, especially if either you know they're fixing the planes there, or if maybe Western supplies have been coming through there to help in other parts of Ukraine. That's exactly what people are, are here talking about, is the fact that maybe this was part of a uh, an effort to uh, uh, fix up any kind of uh, planes that might be coming from the West. Uh, and because of that, it was uh, considered by the Russians a legitimate target. Of course, Vladimir Putin himself saying if the West continues to supply arms to Ukraine, uh, that they will consider those uh, supply routes as legitimate targets. So the, the smoke itself was extremely black. And I've been to my fair share of war zones and seen my fair share of airstrikes. Generally, that means something is burning pretty darn hot. Uh, and um, uh, not a lot of debris burning. So um, a lot of folks uh, suspecting perhaps it was some sort of fuel depot that also got hit. The mayor of town did hold a press conference today to explain what had happened. He said that uh, because work had ceased in that facility, 
that only one person was wounded, but it does knock out a facility that could be used to repair any aircraft that may be coming from the West or indeed are currently involved in any kind of air campaign that the Ukrainians are conducting because clearly the Russians still don't have air superiority here. It's also worth noting that the missiles did come from the Black Sea, so uh, it is possible that there was a naval uh, participation, Russian naval participation in in this activity. Um, but it just goes to add to the sense in town here that while we may be far in the West because of the capacity of Russia's military, uh, we are far from being, uh, 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 you know, completely shielded by our distance. Of course, uh, as we've discussed before, you are very close, Lviv, to Poland, closer than other parts of Ukraine, certainly, a a NATO country. Uh, How much of a concern is there that by design or more likely by accident, that as these uh, barrages get closer and closer now today in the city that you're in, that uh, one might end up hitting a NATO country? Well, it's, it's very much a, a, a concern. I know that the polls are very concerned about it as well, and they're floating a whole bunch of different ideas on how to contest that. Uh, but at this point, because of the distance, it may actually be playing in our favor because uh, when they launch uh, something that is longer distance, it tends to be a, a little bit more controlled because they have satellite imagery. They're basing it on, on uh, much more... Um, integrated systems, uh, whereas if they're using their grad system uh, missile systems, for example, which are medium-range surface-to-surface missiles, well, that's just a barrage of artillery. So you're just blanketing the space, whereas uh, when you're shooting off a couple of, uh, uh, well, cruise missiles or or longer longer distance firing, um, you can be, they tend to be a little bit more precise because, uh, of course, you're, you're sending at larger distances, distances. But nevertheless, we are very much concerned here in the West, and I know that the polls are very concerned as well. It's just too close for comfort. Phil Itner, journalist there in Lviv, Ukraine. Phil, thank you again. One by one, the Russian military is reducing Ukrainian cities in the eastern part of the country to mostly rubble. What started as a more restrained, targeted series of strikes has now become almost indiscriminate bombing in some spots. The city of Kharkiv near the Russian border has been absorbing bombardment for almost a month straight at this point. Alexandra lives there with her husband, her mother-in-law, and her cat. And they haven't left despite daily attacks by the Russians. Thank you for joining with us and, and taking the time. Uh, how is the city now? You're, you're there, as we said. Uh, as we also said, it has uh, come into some brutal attacks from the Russians. Can you describe what the city is like now? Of course, thank you for your invitation. Uh, now it's night in Kharkiv, so uh, we are staying at home uh, because of the curfew. And uh, uh, Russians like to attack us at night, so we are waiting for the opportunity to sleep well uh, this night because the night before was quite calm, and uh, they uh, attacked us in the morning. Uh, so we are living at war. Uh, you can't. Uh, 
uh, you don't know what to expect the other day. You're just hoping for the best. Uh, uh, you're right. Uh, there are several areas of our city that uh, almost destroyed. Uh, people can't live here and they are forced to leave their homes uh, to uh, flee to different areas of Ukraine or to travel abroad to save their lives. So especially uh, women with children. Uh, they try to escape the city, but a lot of people are staying here. We're trying to live our common lives as it's possible during the war. Uh, our civil council and uh, our uh, communal services, they are doing their best to provide us uh, a good level of comfort in the city. Uh, we have uh, water, we have electricity, we have good internet connection uh, as well. Uh, we have uh, some food and uh, needed supplies in the stores. Uh, we run out of some medicines, but uh, we are waiting for humanitarian aid. Uh, it's uh, going from different uh, Ukrainian cities and our neighbors uh, from Poland, Lithuania and uh, different European countries. I wanted to ask you about that. When you go out and, and you try and get something you need, what is it like in the stores? I mean, can you get your hands on, on the stuff that you do need day to day and how often those supplies getting in? Because we, we've, you know, been talking in different areas and some people have said, mm -hmm. you know what, all that's at the coffee shop is, is, is bread and coffee. And that's the sign on the door because that's all we can get right now in some spots. It depends uh, on the uh, part of the city because so. Uh, I live in some calm uh, city district. Uh, we don't have uh, a lot of missiles here, so it's quite uh, easy for us to get some needed supplies. We have a, a supermarket uh, in our little area. Uh, in our neighborhood, we have uh, more distant supermarkets, uh, uh, and uh, you can likely find here uh, most of needed products, uh, milk, uh, milk, bread, uh, some groceries, it's not a big deal. Uh, it was uh, at the first days of war, maybe first week, uh, a lot of people panicked because they thought that we will run out of supplies so very quickly, but uh, we uh, have our roads unblocked so we can, uh, our stores can provide us uh, some uh, some food uh, supplies and uh it's not so bad now alexandra let, let, let's find out a little bit about you and your your family uh what do you and your husband and mother-in-law do and and i wouldn't be forgiven by cat lovers if i also yes, didn't ask, ask about what, the cat yes what, how's what, the cat how's the cat what kind of cat is it oh he's okay uh he was quite nervous for the first week uh, it was uh, more loud than now because uh, there were a lot of more strikes, uh, some uh, air strikes, and he was nervous and was hiding uh, somewhere uh, deep in the house. But now he's quite calm and can sleep uh, even if it's uh, noisy outside. But uh, we are almost uh, all time during the day staying at home. Uh, as I said, we had a we have a curfew from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., so we can't go outside. Uh, sometimes we go to the market or to get some uh, uh, maybe water or something else, but uh, most of uh, our time we're staying at home. I'm working, I'm working remotely, 
uh, and uh, my husband uh, not working uh, at the moment because he's a teacher at the university and mother-in-law can't work uh, too because uh, uh, he can't get to her workplace uh, so we are staying at home together and, and what what kind of work do you do uh, I'm working uh, for the IT company and the HR department, uh, especially I'm working with the uh, corporate policies uh, and uh, some analytics. We've talked to people before who have told us just how strange it is, how surreal it is to, to work and, and you know be there on your laptop and doing your job and still at the same time you're in a war zone, you, there's the specter of airstrikes or bombs. I mean, what is that? How do you even square that in your mind? Uh, you know, work is a good opportunity to uh, clear your mind from these uh, terrific thoughts, uh, from this anxiety. You can focus on something. Uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, pretend you have a usual life, a uh, normal life. Uh, and um, uh, this war is not a short term. Uh, I think it's it may uh, be for a couple of months. So uh, we need to find ways to uh, not give up, uh, to work, uh, to pay taxes for our uh, government, to provide more supplies for our defenders. Uh, we need to support our economics. So I think uh, everyone who can work now should do this and everyone who can support uh, local people, who can, who can support defenders should do this as well. So about three and a half million Ukrainians, as I'm sure you know, have left your country, mm -hmm. uh, Poland, other places. Why did you and your family stay? Um, it's about, uh, I don't know, I don't feel uh, myself uh, in extreme danger right now. Uh, we used to war. It's cruel but uh, as it is uh, we live as I said as I said in a quite calm district uh, I have a lot of relatives here I have my parents that uh, they leave my husband's grandmother and we feel our responsibility for them we are responsible we should help we try to help uh, someone who stays here we're not volunteers but but we can provide some local help for example uh, go to the market uh, buy some food uh, check uh, someone's uh, parents who stayed here for example i have a co-worker she left with her daughter uh, to the western ukraine but she, uh, her mother stays here and uh, we live nearby so I can help and check her. Uh, it's a little help, but uh, someone should stay in the city so it uh, still looks alive. Uh, we are not uh, completely blocked in the city. We can live our lives uh, how it's possible. Uh, but for now, I don't think that uh, it's uh, completely needed for me to leave or for my family. Uh, a lot of people left, uh, uh, almost uh, six and a half millions uh, moved uh, through Ukraine to the western parts, more safe uh, to protect uh, them and their children. Uh, and uh, I think it's uh, quite uh, hard for people here to provide them support, to provide them some workplaces, to, to provide food. And I think that I can stay here, I can 
uh, embrace myself uh, and uh, um, not be such a heavy uh, I I think I can stay here and uh, make uh, easier lives for there who need to le- uh, to leave so I don't uh, stay at their place Alexandra in Kharkiv with her husband, uh, mother-in-law, and the cat. Alexandra, pleasure talking with you. Thank you for giving us the time. And um, stay safe, and we wish you the best, and, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks for talking to us again. Short break, and then the Biden administration seeks to keep China firmly on the sidelines of this war. The U.S. is looking to make sure China stays out of this conflict. The president had a nearly two-hour-long video call this morning with China's leader, Xi Jinping. President warned China of consequences if it starts actively helping the Russian efforts. China said after the call that conflict and confrontation not in anyone's interest, but it did not blame Russia. With us is Danny Bellow, professor of international relations at Webster University in St. Louis. He's an expert on NATO-Russia relations, ethnic conflicts, and China. Thanks for being with us. So uh, the issue with China is problematic, right? Because on the one hand, I mean, they're really trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say we're not supportive of one country invading another, but they don't want to condemn Russia. We're warning them of consequences. What kind of consequences could we slap them with? Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, Well, the first thing we have to keep in mind is that uh, China is the largest trading partner for both Russia and Ukraine. And as a consequence, it can become a mediator uh, in this conflict. And as a consequence of that, it could have a permanent footprint in the region. At the same time, with the onset of the conflict, we can see that Russia and China's bond, uh, both economic and political bond, is becoming stronger. And this is something that Washington does not want to see. In terms of a response, uh, Biden's um, options are rather limited considering the large uh, economic impact that China has on the world. Okay, so limited as in what could we do even if it was limited? Or basically, can we just send out the warnings and hope for the best? Well, for now, we're seeing the strong bond between uh, Beijing and Moscow. And that bond is likely to become um, stronger and stronger. So one of the options that Biden could do is create some sort of economic incentive uh, for China to uh, create a rift between uh, Beijing and Moscow. However, the options are very limited, and it it is likely that that bond will continue to be deeper uh, between Beijing and Moscow. I mean, for example, uh, unlike with Russia, it wouldn't do us very uh, very much good, would it, to slap China with sanctions because we get so much from China we'd be shooting shooting ourselves in the foot. That's right. And on top of that, if the U.S. becomes even more adversarial towards China now, we will likely see an even stronger uh, movement from China to Russia. So the bond will increase if we decide to use some sort of coercive measures. So then we hope that she just does realize that what Putin is doing is uh, completely wrong and then is unsettled enough that uh, whatever bond and partnership they have, you know, forming this kind of axis against the West, which they say is dictating everything, that he's not willing to go all the way with him, that that partnership does have some stop gaps in it or some stops. Well, what Biden is going to try to do is to say to uh, Xi Jinping 
that China's position, this is something that we saw in the readout from the White House, that um, China should be more aligned with the West considering its economic bonds um, with Europe and uh, the US, but in terms of practically trying to create a deep rift between Moscow and Beijing, uh, unfortunately, it's not uh, unlikely to happen, at least in the near future. Are we seeing in the long term, maybe even the medium term, a sort of tectonic, a tectonic shift in the world order that, that has been the case post-World War II? Is that what's happening before our very eyes? Well, if we look at uh, the Kremlin's perspective, certainly the operation that's being undertaken now in Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Putin perceives this as a change in the entire security architecture of Europe. Uh, for the foreseeable future. So considering the magnitude of that goal um, and the impact it has on creating a new rift between Europe and Russia, it will certainly have global implications. China likes status, though. They like to be seen as, as not being told what to do. And if they were to help too much, I mean, the eyes of the world would be looking at them in a very negative light as they're looking at Russia right now. So what about a sort of consensus that, okay, maybe they help a little bit behind the scenes, but nothing way out front, nothing super noticeable because uh, they don't want to be seen as aiding Vladimir Putin right out in invading this other country, again, because they've said you shouldn't invade another country. Well, from China's perspective, I think the best position it can take is to become a mediator in this conflict. So to be a credible mediator, it cannot take a decisive position either on Ukraine's side or Russia's side. But behind the scenes, what we're likely to see is China providing uh, ammunition and goods um, to, to maintain Russia's operations, but not tanks or aircraft to mount um, an invasion. Danny Bello, professor of international relations, Webster University in St. Louis. Vladimir Putin was at this big pro-war rally in front of a hand-picked crowd in Moscow earlier today, praised his country's troops as they continue to strike cities in Ukraine, insisted this is all necessary, he says, to prevent an unspecified genocide. The rhetoric seems to indicate the war might continue for a while, despite some progress on peace talks. Ambassador John Herbst is with us. He is the senior director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center and former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine from 2003 to 2006. Let's talk about those peace talks. Um, I mean, most wars end at the table, right? Instead of someone just conquering totally somebody else. So do you have some hope that they are at least getting somewhere? Um, I think that Putin still wants to achieve the same objectives that launched his invasion, his new invasion of Ukraine. In other words, he wants to completely subordinate Ukraine to the Kremlin. I believe those peace talks are being held at much lower, lower levels than, than Putin, of course, because he understands, well, even if he doesn't want to acknowledge, that there have been some problems with his operation, and he may need another way out. But since his own conditions for an end to peace, to an end to, an end to the war, are much harsher than those his, his negotiators are offering. It's clear that his negotiators are not necessarily offering things that are real. And looking at the pictures earlier of those uh, that rally that we were just referring to in Moscow, a uh, lot of people um, seemingly enthusiastic for the Russian side of this. Is that because 
they're getting all of this disinformation through censored media? Or is there a large body of, of people, do you think, in Russia that are supportive of what Putin is doing and they think it's the right thing? It's unclear what percentage of Russians know what's going on in Ukraine. I believe that percentage is extremely small. And the Russian media, which has become much more under the control of the Kremlin in recent days, they've banned a few small independent television stations that existed you know, before this new invasion. Um, they've now made it a 15-year possible crime to provide, quote-unquote, false information about what's going on in Ukraine. So there's been a real crackdown on the flow of news in, in country. And, of course, the news they get from state media uh, is, completely is completely distorted. I didn't see so somebody, many people oh, do support the Kremlin because they, they don't have real information. Well, say, we really don't know the numbers. I was just going to say, I, uh, I did see somebody say, you know what, if Vladimir Putin holds any rally, though, they, you'd fill it with 85,000 government workers and they have to come and they have to correct. cheer. So uh, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, how do you break through that, though, when you've just detailed how everything is run by the, the state media? I mean, the, the, we've got Western, you know, Telegram channels, now the social media service. We've got the Arnold Schwarzenegger video that he says at least broke in a little bit, maybe among some fans. But how do you get that message into Russia if maybe that's in the end what it's going to take to get more people to realize what's actually happening? If we are smart and bold, and I'm not sure that we are, I'm now referring to the U.S. government, we are using our formidable cyber capacity to, without letting anyone know, remove barriers that get in the way of Western social media getting into Russia. That's what we should be doing. Uh, because, you know, let the Russian people see the pictures of the bombed hospitals, the bombed theaters, uh, and their picture of the war will begin to approximate the truth. And that will be a very serious problem for Putin. Do you uh, have the fear that some, apparently in Washington, are expressing that a desperate Putin would reach, if not for a nuclear option, which does seem somewhat far-fetched, but maybe not, uh, but, but certainly for a, a biological and or chemical one? Look, um, smart policymakers, prudent policymakers, had to consider all contingencies including the most dire, like the use of nukes by the Kremlin. But we have um, a chattering class and even policymakers who are not sufficiently steeped in history. Because if they were, they'd understand that while Putin is a danger, he is not as dangerous as the former Soviet Union. And we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the former Soviet Union when our, interests, when our critical interests were on the line in Berlin in 1961, in Cuba in 1962, and we, didn't, we protected our interests even as you know, the, the nuclear sword of Damocles hung over all of us. The same, if we could do it with the Soviet Union, which was much more formidable, we can do it with Putin, who's not nearly as powerful. And people need to know history. They need to know our strengths, which are formidable. Much, we are much stronger than Russia in every category except nukes, and we are a peer power when it comes to nukes. And we can deal with this and not let Putin frighten us out of sending the weapons to Ukraine that Ukraine needs. And sadly, that's been true also of the administration, which talks too much of, quote, about escalatory perceptions by Putin, when Putin's the one who's escalating. Does he already seem 
Desperate, I saw some commentary today going back to your point saying, look, he's not at the negotiation table yet, but uh, they were saying he's going to bomb and bomb and bomb and terrorize Ukrainians and kill civilians. So when he does go to the table, his position is stronger because as terrible as it is, he's leveled cities. So he can look across and say, you know what, are you done? I've done all this. Let's let's get me what I want. That only works for him if his leveling cities destroys the will of the Ukrainian leadership and the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian military. And it hasn't over the past three weeks. And this could go on for six months or longer. I don't think it's going to achieve that effect. They under, the people of Ukraine understand that it's not just their country's sovereignty that's risk, it's their liberties. Russia was an authoritarian regime a year ago, but it's a far more oppressive authoritarian regime today as a result of the measures Putin has taken in order to, quote unquote, secure his position at home while he conducts an obviously failed war abroad. Ambassador, thank you. Ambassador John Herbst, Senior Director, Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center, former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, 2003 to 2006. This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.